Hi everyone, Jocelyn here. This week's episode of Impact Chronicles is quite different. I speak to someone who's not a social entrepreneur, but a renowned author and innovation consultant who helps large organizations innovate for the future while managing their core business. Tonight, Vicky, who is also associate partner and strategizer, takes us through the lean startup methodology and business model canvas, showing us why it is important for startups, social or otherwise, to utilize these tools for success. Can you tell me a bit more about the work you do at Strategizer? All right. So what's happening in the world is so much change going on. So much stuff is changing. So much new technology, new developments. So large companies that used to have a lot of competitive advantages no longer retain those competitive advantages for as long as they think they did. And so if you look if you look at like some sort of historical moments that have happened, Kodak went bust. Kodak went completely bankrupt, and then they came back from bankruptcy. Nokia almost went bankrupt, but then they sold their mobile phone unit to Microsoft. So they kind of survived now as an infrastructure company. BlackBerry have struggled. Loads of bookshops have had to close because of Amazon. So it's just loads of stuff happening. And so the question is, you know, large companies have to respond to all of this stuff. So how do they do it? And so my job is to work with leaders to develop their innovation strategies and teach them how to use these techniques and stuff like that. I noticed that Strategizer has the business model canvas. It is something that I use on a personal level. Right. You through a business model, you, I yes. read the book. So how important is it for an individual to use the business model canvas to sort of define what they do and how they do it and probably be more successful. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of concepts that are there, right? Which is, so the first thing is you need to think about business or career or having a job as the exchange of value. So they know people say, I'm looking for a job, right? And so they're just, they're just looking for a job, you know? And then they're just going to work. They never really think about what, what is the contribution they're making, right, to value creation inside the institutions that they're working for. And that's why you see sometimes even like people in leadership positions inside large companies can actually destroy value by extracting too much for themselves than the value they create for the organization. And so because they don't really understand that business in general is the exchange of value. So you give me value and I give you value back. And so, you, of course, you have to think of yourself and your career in, in business model terms because you have to be thinking about what is the value you, you, you bring. And if you want to earn more money or you want to extend your career, you have to be offering things that are really, really high in value, things that are rare, things that are unique, you know, because those market economics tells you that things that are rare and unique attract more value or payment than things that are common and commoditized. So that's why you have to be thinking about your career that way. It's just a good lens to use. I agree. And when it comes to the value proposition in a business, how important is that? So that's the heart of everything. Okay, so here's a, here's a concept, right? So people constantly talk about uh, that business is for making money, okay? Mm. So when people use that phrase, business is for making money, what they do is they immediately take away from themselves the capability to make money because um, money is just a, money is a metric. Money, money in and of itself has no intrinsic value, right? 
money is just a platform for exchanging value. So um, I give value to somebody else, that person gives me money, and then I take that money and go exchange value with somebody else. So it's a way of making sure that people in a, in a society, a large society, a community of thousands of people, can exchange value without having to do butter trading, right? Before chingwa and right? So you, you can now just sell me your bread, then I can decide what to do with the money. So money itself has no intrinsic value. Money is just a platform for, for, for exchanging value. So when you're creating a business, whether it's a social business, whether it's your career, whatever it is that you're doing, the cornerstone of it is the value you're creating. So the value proposition is the heart of everything. It's the central, if you look at the business model canvas, it is the central block, it's right in the middle. And everything else is organized around it. So it's organized around the creation of value. It's organized around the delivery of value. And only when you finish delivering value can you then hope to extract value back from people. So that's, yeah, it's the balance. It's, it's the heart of everything. Regardless of what you're doing, you have to be really thinking about the value that you're creating for customers, society, families, etc. Okay, so for a layman, can you please take me through the business model canvas and how do I then um, utilize it for my business? How does it work? So it's, it's a very simple tool. It's got nine blocks. I often, when I'm working with people, I encourage them to think about first the customer, who, who their customer is and what value they're creating for them. So, you know, do the customer segment block and then the value proposition block. And then when you're done with those two, then you can start building your canvas because you've now got the two central pieces, right? The value proposition and the customer. And then you can have a conversation about, okay, well, how do we reach this customer? What relationships do we want to have? How do we create this value? What activities do we want to do? Who are the partners that are going to help us create value? What resources do we need? How much will it cost us? And how much will this customer pay? But if you just start by saying, how much will this customer pay? you're really starting with the wrong question because it's like, well, who is the customer and what are they paying for? And so I often encourage people to start with the customer segment and the value proposition block first. Okay. All right, mm -hmm. moving on. So while doing my research, I also found out that you're a renowned author of the book, The Corporate Startup. Can we talk about that? Right. The Corporate Startup was published in 2017. It's won two awards. It's a bestseller. It's got me listed on uh, Thinkers50 and all of that. The, the Lean Product Lifecycle is a much more recent book. It was published last year. Okay. So maybe uh, we can talk a bit about the main thrust of the corporate startup. Yeah, so the corporate startup is about how to take startup practices into large corporations. That's really what the book is about. How, how do you do that? How do leaders who are running a, a business also run innovation in the same company. That's what that book is about. And that's why I think that book had a lot of traction because it's something that a lot of companies are facing as a challenge right now. Yeah. That is very true. So what exactly so, is the Lean Startup? I mean, it's not that complex, right? So Lean Startup is just the notion that when you're launching at the beginning, when you're starting out your, your, your when you're starting a company, you must focus on doing the right things at the right time. So a lot of people, when they're starting their companies, they jump too far ahead, they make business plans, they get a lot of investment, they rent offices, they do all of these things that businesses are supposed to do. But it, but while they're doing that, they're ignoring the main question, which is who are the customers? <laughs> what are you creating for them? Are they even willing to pay, et cetera, et cetera. So the goal is not to find out that you don't have a business after you spend too much money. The goal is to find out whether you have a business early so that you can really start to navigate towards success. So start small, test your ideas, 
validate your business model with, with customers and then scale. Don't start off by scaling. That's really the, that's why it's called lean, basically. Do you have any lean methodology principles that you believe are very important for a social enterprise to formulate in their business? I mean, for me, a social enterprise is a business. And so yes, there, is no, there is no difference between a, a any business applying lean startup and a social enterprise. The only difference is the vision of the business, the goal of the business, the, the other metrics they measure outside of profit. But if a social enterprise is not making profit, if a social enterprise goes out of business, it won't make any impact. Yeah, so, so a social enterprise is only of value to the extent that it's creating revenue and profit and they've got a sustainable business model. Let's talk about the build, measure, learn, feedback. Look, how important is that for small businesses? I think it's more important for small businesses because small businesses are the ones that if they spend their resources doing things that don't work, are more likely to go bust. Large companies can take more hits than bigger than, than smaller businesses. So the discipline with the build, measure, learn loop is just to test your ideas. So if you're thinking customers are going to pay $12.99, you don't go order 10,000 products, you order 10 products. And then you test whether customers will pay $12.99. And then when you've validated that they will pay $12.99, you can then order 50 products and then you test again. So you're scaling in a systematic way that allows you to learn. So that's why we say build, measure, learn, like, like order 10, measure, learn, iterate. Order another 50, measure, learn, iterate, like that, right? It's a way of like building a rhythm. It's a rhythm for building a business. So a Lean Startup is based on the notion that you can't assume that you're, something that has worked for somebody else will work for you. You have to figure out what works in whatever context your business is operating. You cannot really just sit down with a piece of paper and make a business plan. You have to go to the context and start small, Order 10, fell, then order 50, fell, then order 100. So you're building the business model for the context. And that's what that's exactly what Lean Startup suggests that people do. Vanity metric. What are your views regarding um, how people use vanity metrics to impress investors? So if a, if a company comes to me and says they've got 13,000 followers or 400 mm. Facebook views, like, that's not a business metric. That's a vanity metric, right? Because, the, like, Facebook is not going to send you a check because you've got 4,000 followers. And Twitter is not sending you a check because you've got 50,000 followers. So you telling me you've got 4,000 followers or 50,000 followers or X amount of views or all of this stuff, like, it doesn't really matter to me. What I really care about as an investor is what then happened. You've got 13,000 followers. How did that then impact the bottom line? How did it impact revenue? How did it impact sales? How did it impact your business growth? And if you don't have those numbers, then I don't care that you've got 13,000 followers. So that's the difference between a vanity metric and a, an actionable metric, as we call them. Yeah. When it comes to pivoting, yeah. how does one know when to quit? So the cool thing about startups is that startups have their own runway, right? So you, so you quit when you run out of money. <laughs> like it just defines itself. Like you don't even have to think. If you look at the history of all the successful companies that have, that have been successful out in the world, from social enterprises to any company, right? 
There's not a single business that became successful at the thing they started out working on. They have an idea in their head, and then they go out in the world and figure out what works around that idea. That also right. brings us to the next point of learning curves and embracing them. So it seems to me that the core of the lean startup principles, the business model, everything there is you learning what works for your customer and not making assumptions. That, that's exactly right. So there's very few people that can really predict what their customers are going to do. It's very rare that yeah. people get that right. The only way to find out what customers are going to do is to just put it out in the world and see what happens. And so that process of putting it out in the world and seeing what happens, you want to do that in a systematic way. You want to do that in a way that's kind of deliberate so you can learn and make changes and move to the next step like that. You don't want to do it kind of randomly, but yeah. So now we're under your corporate, your experience in the corporate world. How has the reception been? Has it been a smooth ride trying to get them to, to adopt lean uh, startup principles? Uh, no, it has not been a smooth ride at all. What has been the biggest difficulty? They are already successful. How do you convince so, them? Uh, so you have to have a conversation, right? Yeah, you, you, you have to have a conversation. And so there are leaders that get it, leaders that understand it and get it straight away. So they really understand the value of innovation and they want to work on it. They could see all the trends happening in the world and they want to get ahead of those trends. So those leaders are easiest to work with. And then there are some leaders that see the trends but don't feel confident that their company can respond. That's another group that you have to sort of deal with and kind of work with in a, in a, in a different way. And then there are leaders that just don't get it. Like they're just like, this is not important. I don't want to deal with this. And those are the hardest ones to convince and you have to talk to them, show them statistics, show them trends, you know, give them a taste and then and then see what happens. But yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Because obviously they don't want to miss up a winning formula. They think yeah. that they'll keep winning. So yeah, yeah. yeah. might be difficult on that level. And so what you want is two things. You want the leaders to develop an innovation strategy alongside their innovation team. And then once that strategy has been developed, we then understand what the innovation team is working on. And then you can give that autonomy to that team. And that autonomy is given in exchange for transparency. So you, we give you autonomy, you give us transparency. We want to know the experiments you're running, what you're testing, what progress you're making, how close you are to success. That's really important. We won't tell you what to do, but we do need to know what our investment is buying. And then the final piece is that the innovation needs need to be accountable. We have a three to five year run. After the three to five year run, you have to have made a contribution to our revenue, to the bottom line. Otherwise, you're not really an important part of our business in that sense. You're just a cost center. So all of these things matter because ultimately we're not just hanging out. We're building a business. And so we have to be really thinking about it in those terms. Okay. Do you have a few success stories to share with us when it comes to implementing lean startup methodologies in the corporate world you mean my success stories um or some yeah. success stories <laughs> your success stories <laughs> okay <laughs> all right um yeah so one was I, I worked with pearson the global education company 
Um, so that book, that book that you just talked about, the Lean Product Lifecycle. The Lean Product Lifecycle. Yeah, yeah life that cycle. framework. That framework was designed and developed for Pearson, and then Pearson have also published that book to put it out in the world to say this is the work that was done, and that won an award, two awards actually, one for best innovation program and the other one for best innovation culture. Um, that and, and that was in 2015. So that's a that, that that's some success. I've also done some work with Standard Bank in South Africa, where we I was helping them develop some stuff there. Um, yeah, it's a whole bunch of just a whole a whole bunch of different things. Running innovation uh, programs and training for 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 Airbus. I did some stuff for Lufthansa, where we we ran like a pilot project and then developed their innovation practice. Tell me a bit more about how you get into a company and build the innovation culture among them. How do you do that? Yeah, so there's there's two parts to it, right? One part is mindset. So one part is just like talking to people and educating people about what is best practice and what is not so best practice. So you know stuff like test your ideas before you scale them because you want to make sure stuff works before you launch it, so people can you know understand that stuff. But really, 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 the thing that drives culture is leadership decision making. So, I I'm a really strong believer that culture in any society and in any company is really what the leadership inside those organizations recognize, celebrate, punish, reward. Right? That's what really drives culture. You can't just change culture by giving people sticky notes and canvases. That's not going to change anything. What really matters is what the leaders inside that company value, what they pay for, how people get bonuses and incentives and all that. So that that's really what matters. So the vast majority of the work I do is in changing decision-making structures. How do we make decisions around innovation? Let's change how we do that so that it lines up with the culture we want to create. We have to. So, for example, if we're saying to teams, test your idea. What do they? What do those teams do if it turns out that the idea was a bad idea? Okay, are we the sort of company that's happy when that happens, and we celebrate those teams that make decisions to kill their project? In most companies, you can't make the decision to kill your project because it's career suicide. So you do whatever it takes to protect your project and just keep going, even if you know customers don't want it. And so those are the kind of things that I work on. So we want a culture that celebrates failure. Well, if you want a culture that celebrates failure, <laughs> you need to change the incentives. You need to change how leaders make decisions. You need to change how leaders give bonuses. So if a team fails or finds out that the idea is not going to work, do they get a bonus? And if they don't, then they'll start working on on making sure that they, you know, they keep going or, or keep pretending that their idea is actually successful when it isn't. Do you have any parting words? Anything you'd want to share with social entrepreneurs, based on your experiences? Yes, I would yes. say to social entrepreneurs. Um, the fact that your product, your business is social doesn't mean it won't fail. So I know that it feels good to say you have a social enterprise and you're doing something to help people. But if you if you if your business side is not solid, you're not going to be able to help anyone. So it really matters that social entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs, not just social. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Sandai, for your oh, time. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you will join us for the next one. We'd love to hear your feedback. So feel free to reach out through our social media platforms as well as the website 
Till next time, bye.